Welcome everybody to another episode of B Brown Bag. I this is B Brown Bag Mia. We are very proud today to feature uh, Johan van Amersfoort and Marco van Bagen, who are going to be talking about the VDI design guide. I hope I didn't butcher your names too much. Um, I am <laughs> going to. This is going to be an interview kind of presentation. But first of all, I have some quick notes that I have to get out of the way for every every time we do a podcast. These are our handles. We have. Uh, shows in U the U.S., Latin America, Brazil, EMEA, everything uses the hashtag BeRoundBag. Those are the uh, times, and I am your host, Ariel Sanchez. So let's see the proper pronunciation of your names as I bring up your Twitter handles and Twitter profiles. So I'll let uh, Johan go first. Yeah, so that's Johan van Amersfoort. So you came really close, to be honest. Cool. And Marco. So my name, and my name is Marco van Bachem. I was probably more far, far. I was farther away on that one. Well, that's okay. Because of the I, G, I, I heard it? worse. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so today I'm I'm super excited because uh, Johan reached out that he has been working. Uh, Johan, Marco, and others have been working on a new book that is coming out, which is the VDI Design Guide, and I found this uh, this. Uh, this blog post and I you know we said this is gonna be interview style so please go ahead tell me about the book and everything you want to go I can definitely click on this if you want and, and I can scroll as you're talking about it yeah so um, you know the whole idea of, of the book um, uh, came up about a year ago um, just before Film World, um, uh, Frank Deneman and Niels Hagort released the um, the host resources deep dive, and I got a couple of questions uh, from from people in the community and and other other people um, around. You know, why doesn't a, a book like that exist for uh, virtual desktop infrastructures and or and, and VMware uh, VDIs in general, or in particular, and. Um, yeah, so th that was where the idea came, and um, back then I was also uh, mentoring a couple of guys on their PCDX, and um, the idea was born uh, because I I, um, I wanted to create a book uh, that was all about designing VDIs based on uh, how you would do that in 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 a 2018 standard, so um, including stuff like Windows 10, uh, graphical uh, processor, processing units, so GPUs, um, yeah, and, uh, which you can see here in, in, in the screen, so that's that's an example of one of the diagrams, um, but also stuff like NSX, which is, um, in my opinion, essential to, to how you would um, design a VDI uh, with security in mind, but also with high availability. And that's that's why I, you know, I, I, um, I did my VCDX on desktop and mobility, but um, uh, knowing everything in which, what is in scope for um, a, a VDI is, is, it's a lot. So that's why I asked uh, for two more comp or two contributors, uh, one uh, being uh, Sean Massey um, and the other one being Marco. And Marco specifically because he has an extensive knowledge of data centers and um, uh, NSX. And um, yeah, so there you have it. You have three PCDXs working on the book um, and some other guys like Ray Heffer and Simon Long who, who've been PCGX uh, at, at VMware, uh, at VMware um, for quite some time now, um, all working together with with us on the book to make it a uh, basically a great success, and um, uh, it's it's almost there. Very very cool, and and I I just went through my VCP7 DTM, and one of the things that was amazing to me was that the the blueprint has not changed in years. Uh, Mirage was still in there. Uh, there was yeah. there was a bunch of products that were not no longer relevant. But in the field, I actually have to work with customers who are doing stuff like NVIDIA Grid 
and they really want to know what's the best thing to do right now, not, you know, years ago when the first documents came out. So I think this is very, very welcome. Um, not only not only because it's recent and relevant, but also because of the people that are doing it. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, you know, and Marco could uh, probably could elaborate on this, but um, um, everything you do nowadays is with security in mind, and and that's that's um, uh, why I asked both Marco and and, and uh, Sean who uh, um, have a, a lot of experience with security as well um, to work with with me on the book because security is essential to um, uh, a successful VDI. Um, part of the design. And Marco, tell us, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so for me, Bayon uh, came to me with a question if it could help him with uh, some of the security questions for the uh, VDI design guide. I would be, I jumped right on it because I knew that the two products for VMware Horizon and, for example, NSX could really help each other to improve the security for a VDI platform. And that's why we really, really tried to explain how NSX can help secure the desktop environment, not just by deploying it and this is how it is. No, this is how you can leverage the NSX security components to get a more secure platform. Yeah, and, and you know, and we're not telling in the book how an end user should put which uh, uh, enable which uh, setting on which place to to uh, leverage uh, a certain feature. We're just asking tons of questions and sharing a lot of experiences we had in the field. Um, and, and basically, the book has two goals. So first, being to help. Um, everyone to to um, to design a VDI uh, and start with uh, asking yourself the question why would you do that because um, to be honest VDI is legacy it's 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 just that if you look at the product portfolio of VMware um, they're they're focusing a lot on workspace one uh, so that's that's uh, um, modern management with an app store, so uh, modern management from the AirWatch side and um, a, 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 an app store portal uh, with a lot of uh, security related features uh, on the other side. And um, that's great and all, but that's great for uh, modern applications like SaaS or cloud-based applications and uh, applications that were purposely built for, let's say, an iPad, stuff like that. Uh, but uh, one of the questions, uh, you, you know, you saw the tweet, a couple of tweets around um, uh, with Pulse, and what I did on the, um, um, yeah, there's actually one that's interesting. Um, uh, there's a question around uh, about um, what do, when do you think you will um, uh, be um, moving away from all your traditional applications or legacy applications. And the majority answered um, when hell freezes over. And, and that's, that's why you still need a VDI. Yeah. Um, well, I, I've big... heard of like healthier customers that they're still running, you know, very old apps. So, you know, it's, it actually is a problem for them as, as things run out of support because now they have to go into these uh, expensive projects to finally, you know, they're finally forced to upgrade and they're not quick projects, right? So it's, it, it requires a lot of planning and a lot of testing. Absolutely, and it's not just one application. You know, if it's just one application, uh, it, and, and it's possibly like home build or, or um, and, and you would be able to invest in migrating that specific uh, application towards uh, something um, uh, from the cloud, you know, it, I, I would, um, I would do that, but it's not just one traditional application. It's it's tons of them, and so you need a um, you need a, a proper infrastructure to be able to um, um, to deploy to deliver uh, applications in a secure and um, uh, manageable way with lifecycle uh, management in your uh, 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 
in the back of your head. Um, and so, so, so that was like the one, the one part. Start with the question, why would you do this? Uh, create a business case. So the book helps you create a business case. And one of VMware's uh, top-notch business case specialists, Brian Gamage, he helped us with the book uh, in, in terms of uh, um, uh, we did uh, quite an extensive interview in which he um, uh, makes you start thinking about you know what should be incorporated in, in a business case and how would you approach uh, something like that. Um, and then it starts explaining how the whole VCDX way of approaching a design works. So, you know, we start with goals and requirements. And from that, we'll, we'll hop over to an assessment, assessing your current workplace. Um, and step for step, uh, we'll, we'll um, explain how to approach those phases and what to do in those phases. So, for instance, in terms of, of an assessment, um, I, I really like to work with uh, Liquidware's um, uh, Stratosphere UX uh, because it's simple and it, it, tell, it, it will tell you everything you need to know about the different use cases you have, but also um, maybe, you know, current bottlenecks in the, in the environment or um, uh, stuff like a currency or, or you know, it, 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 it helps you uh, create some sort of an expectation um, around performance or around the uh, the number of applications that you need to uh, need to land stuff like that, um, and from that moment on, we start explaining every uh, part of the architecture and and uh, what kind of considerations you would um, uh, you might might have uh, before you take a decision in something, and. Um, you know, an example of that is DR. If, you, if you're talking about DR in, in a horizon environment, uh, nine out of 10 customers will try to, um, uh, uh, to, to deploy a secondary data center and enable cloud architecture. But I am not really sure. Oh, that's the, 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 the poll uh, question I was, uh, I was, uh, I was mentioning. So 62% of everyone who answered the poll um, thinks that they they uh, they won't leave legacy apps in 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 anytime soon. And I, but, I'm uh, surprised because I, I this is the first time that I checked this account. You have put a lot of polls out there, and for a long time, and this is really yeah. really good feedback that you're getting here. Yeah, and and some of them were. Uh, surprised me to be honest so that was one that surprised me but also like um so um you're a video so you, you know what's the hardest part in second day operations when you you talk about vidi oof well training people <laughs> managing managing change well that, that's it managing change so um uh, you know, in in Windows Seven era, if something changed in the, in an environment, uh, you would you would rebuild um, a base image, uh, and you would probably do that like once in every six months, right? That's it. Maybe maybe even once a year or once a couple of years. But now with Windows Ten being released every half, uh, every six months, a new version, and applications being refreshed every let's say a couple of, uh, of of being updated every every couple of weeks um you'll you'll have a challenge and so one of the things i've asked and i think it's uh it's a bit more uh recent is how uh people are currently building their base images and um if they do that manually or automated and um yeah, that's the one. So 64% does it fully manually, 26% partially automated, and just 28% fully automated. Imagine how many errors or mistakes you could make um, if you do this like 100 times. You build 100 different, uh, or rebuild 100 um, uh, different base images 
you're sure to make mistakes. It, you know, making mistakes is, is human. Um, so I, I was, I, because of this, we focused more on the automation part in the, in the, design, in the, in the book as well. And, and um, I highly advise customers to do this because it'll save you time in the long run. And it, it um, rebuilding images by hand is, is error prone. And you, you definitely want to avoid that. Well, and I don't think, would you say there's a lot of resources today out there so for people to learn this, to learn how to build um, automated images and, and manage the process you know, for day two and day 200? Uh, I, I would say there are because um, uh, Microsoft has some extensive documentation on, on uh, uh, how to build it, uh, you know, and, and using System Center or uh, a Microsoft Deployment Toolkit um, has been a best practice in, in, in building or, uh, um, physical machines and servers for, for many years. So there's a lot of documentation around that specific, but um, on Windows 10, it's it's becoming more and more. So that's that's there was some somewhat less documentation around that. Yeah. And in the but, book, we're not exactly describing every single step, but we're more guiding an architect or a consultant in uh, why you should automate and 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 um, uh, how you should do it. So. Use the, use some some kind of different tools that they're uh, on the market and um, yeah more from that angle. Yeah, and it's also so very important sometimes to have someone tell you this is the path that you want to take. You know, go read this, and those are the really important ones. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. So in, you know, and and um. Uh, what we also try to do with the book and, and then as NSX part is a great example of that is um, what you'll do uh, because the, the second goal for the for the book is to create to, to help more people um, become a VCDX and so we completely describe the whole process of becoming a VCDX uh, in, in terms of, of uh, a design structure um, and um, the thing I found that was challenging and, and that might be less challenging in a DCV perspective is that there isn't a lot of documentation available um, of the DTM um, uh, design in general. So yes, there is some stuff around, there's a lot of stuff around vCenter and uh, of vSphere, vSAN, uh, but there's not really a lot of documentation available on those combinations and on, on uh, design best practices. So that, that um, we, we kind of gathered all kinds of bits and pieces together um, and made it one big story to help um, yeah, more people becoming a VCGX on especially desktop and mobility because we're only with 16 uh, as of today. I was going to mention, and, and you have it here in your web in your webpage, uh, EUC champions, they're a really exclusive bunch. I mean, there's, there's a lot of VCPs, but as soon as you get into the desktop part, the VCP DTM goes way low and VCAPs go way low. VCDX DTMs are few. So having yeah. your resource that is dedicated to DTM will definitely help a lot of people just get much, much better at understanding the whole complex project and, you know, make, making sure that they have a methodology. Yeah. Because I think the, the foundation book that uh, John Arashid put out, it had one DTM example, but yeah. I think that yeah, was the right. only thing available. <laughs> and it's always better to have more examples. Yeah, and uh, I, I actually have the book right now in my hand. Um, it, it's, it's a great resource for PCDXs uh, in general. I think, Marco, you have one as well, right? Yeah, correct. Yeah, it's, it's a, good, a really good book that really helps you with uh, getting on through the whole PCDX uh, methodology. 
but it doesn't have a strong focus on either um, uh, the VDI side of things or or uh, NSX. So uh, that that was that you know that was the other goal: get more PCGXs and help them um, with all kinds of situations or functionality or solutions you might come across in your VDI projects, including like you're you're seeing on the screen right now. Um, uh, graphical acceleration. I was gonna say uh, these diagrams that I've seen mentioned, they're very different and they're very nice. Yeah, so uh, one of the things that you need to, to be able to do as PCDX is, is use a whiteboard. And um, I, 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 I always had the idea of, of creating like whiteboard images, uh, but I have kind of have a OCD, so if you create whiteboard images but boxes aren't really all the same, I, th that wouldn't work in my head. So um, I found um, uh, a Fisio stencil that lets you create kind of the whiteboard uh, style and with a, a, a kind of a handwriting with it, and I, I absolutely love them. No, I have to agree that they're very, very cool. Uh, so go ahead and tell me more. You know, NSX. You mentioned it. I I know full well that this is this is the future. You can have so much more flexibility in how you apply policies. Where do you see that traditional EUC administrators have the most problems with NSX? And maybe tell us about how you're dealing with that in your book. So one of the big challenges is, for example, uh, firewalls. So. Applying policies not based on IP addresses only and TCP ports, you can create real policy-based uh, uh, security groups. So instead of just saying this IP address can go to that IP address, we can create a security group. For example, we have a financial group that needs to get to the financial app. So every desktop that's being deployed gets a tag, the tag's being added to the security group, and the security group has access to a specific app, for example, financial. So that way it makes it the lives of the, the, the EUC administrators really, really easy. Just apply the tags based on names, based on uh, VMs, based on all different kinds of objects within NSX. Yep, very cool. And yeah, and, and, and it's more, you know, that um, before NSX, uh, you would need uh, for instance, um, third-party load balancers in order to create a high-available uh, VDI solution. Uh, but what what uh, what we describe in the book is that you could easily leverage the power of uh, the NSX load balancer in multiple ways. And maybe Marco could elaborate some more about that. Yeah. So it's not only for the, the workloads, the desktop workloads, but it could also be for the complete horizon or EUC stack. You can uh, utilize a load balance for uh, getting high available for, uh, high availability for the horizon stack. We can uh, use the security framework to make sure the whole management plane will be secured and uh, for example, leverage different kinds of security insertions like antivirus or uh, deep packet inspection, all different kinds of security measures. So it's not only applying a security framework, but it's also the whole network part, the whole network virtualization part where we can uh, leverage all the, the different features of NSX to make one standardized platform. Yep, very cool. And I think you also, I saw some polls talking about, you know, the NSX features like uh, offloading AV through the, through the hypervisor. I'm imagining yeah. that you know, I remember when it was VShield, it became part of NSX Manager. I imagine that space is also changing all the time. Yeah, you see different um, security vendors um, working together with VMware to create uh, a complete landscape around um, all kinds of security features. So. I think VMware announced some kind of a security, um, um, how did they call it? Like, um, uh, well, the, the, uh, 
a bond of different kind of vendors, uh, some offering like seam solutions, other offering like uh, forensics and um, modern AV or traditional AV. And with all these different kind of vendors and, and different kind of solutions, you'll be able to create a highly secure um, solution in, in which the user, uh, you know, won't be able to um, well they, they'll be able to to work in a normal fashion and have a, have have a normal user experience but they'll do everything with security in mind yeah. uh, without even noticing it and that's I think that's the the, the biggest power of NSX so you know in case um, you have a malware threat on a single desktop but because of micro segmentation, the uh, east-west traffic is, is disabled. Um, one of the solutions will, uh, you know, could detect there's malware and could place a security tag on, on a desktop. Within maybe a second, everything is, um, is excluded from the network, so no harm can be done. And I think that's that's where uh, one of the the, the biggest uh, value adds of NSX on a VDI platform is right and, and I've seen those demos and they're really amazing where you don't need an administrator to do anything it, it it detects an infection and it immediately says this VDI instance will not talk to anything else until this is uh, corrected and I think that's a big big draw because you can't do that <laughs> without NSX basically true right. yep so tell me I, I one thing that I, I mentioned that I'm super uh, excited about is getting a good um, introduction to Grid, because so far yeah. I am I'm, I'm completely a, a newbie, and one of the things that I saw in one of your polls is uh, which brands are you using with VDI, and it's really mostly yeah. video. <laughs> uh, so tell me a little about how that market has uh, evolved in the last years. Yeah, I, sure. It's super interesting, right? And it's uh, but I always see people yeah, saying so. you should use this protocol instead of this protocol for maximum fidelity, and I know that they keep pushing the product to make it better, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, so um, I think back in 2012, um, Nvidia created the first grid card, um, the, the the infamous K1 and K2 cards, which we still see at at at, at customers nowadays. Um, and the whole idea of, of those cards was that uh, there are certain workloads, like designer workloads, um, uh, maybe maybe uh, like uh, uh, stockbrokers that that need uh, a lot of displays. Uh, you have certain certain workloads that need some graphical um, accelerated um, uh, power in in their virtual desktop. So. Back uh, just before the, 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 these grid cards were released, we, we did that basically with uh, uh, VDGA. So, a, pro so uh, a feature that lets you directly um, uh, port a um, or attach a, a physical GPU to a single virtual machine. Uh, that, that was quite popular back then, but uh, you know, as, as density is a challenge because you can only link a single GPU to a single desktop. Um, NVIDIA came with the grid cards, which lets you share the um, the frame buffer, so the, 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 the physical graphics memory on a card, and divide it under uh, yeah, different desktops. And share the GPU that's on, uh, on the card uh, and, and the course that's on uh, on those cards uh, amongst different desktops as well. So uh, you'll have a fixed set of video memory allocated to uh, to a desktop, and the, and the, the the physical GPU will be shared amongst different um, virtual desktops. Compared completely like how a CPU and uh, RAM memory is. Um, uh, used by multiple virtual machines, so they did that as well. Um, back then, I think on on a on a um, on a single card, you could easily have like 32 or or 16 uh, simple use cases 
working with the, with the, with some some of the fiscal memory, uh, but you know density became a challenge. And uh, a couple of years ago, Nvidia created a card called the M10, and, and I'm guessing most of of uh, uh, the people that do, that do something with Vidi still um, uh, deploy them. And that was a card with that was able to have 64 users on a single card uh, with Windows 7. With Windows 7, um, it wasn't really necessary to have a GPU, except for if you have certain use cases, certain applications that require graphical acceleration. Uh, but unfortunately, since Windows 10 came out, everything changed. Um, Windows 10 expects a GPU in your system. And if there isn't a GPU, your CPU will emulate one. And thus, oh, the CPU will be... <laughs> Sorry? No, that's terrible because obviously it will consume yeah. more CPU. That's it. It will consume more CPU. It, it'll consume more RAM. Um, and that's, that's uh, you know, uh, uh, NVIDIA dove into that space because um, uh, Windows 10 will absolutely work without the GPU and you can have even have like a, a bigger density on a host uh, without a GPU but as soon as the demands of a use of a user uh, increase in, in terms of you know I want 60 frame video or I want 4k monitors um, I would like to 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 call uh, with Skype for business uh, on on my uh, on my Chromebook stuff like that is absolutely possible but uh, you don't want to do that without any uh, graphical acceleration in your uh, in your hosts because you will hammer them on uh, uh, from a CPU perspective mm -hmm. so this is a quite a a change for people that were, were thinking that they would use the same hardware going from Windows 7 to Windows 10, I'm detecting it's not at all, and they should really buy your book. Correct. <laughs> yeah, and you know, there there's two types of, of um, migrations towards GPU that you, that you have to separate. So customers working with somewhat older generation of CPUs in their hosts, uh, everything that's, that's like a, a, a uh, generation four, like a V4 and, and, and older, um, those, those CPUs aren't really purposely built to uh, do a lot of GPU emulation. And, and so migrating from Windows 7 to Windows 10 on such a platform almost requires uh, GPUs. On, on the somewhat newer platforms, like, a, like the Intel Gold, uh, uh, Xeon Gold CPUs, uh, especially the powerful one, once it it might be somewhat different, but it always depends on your use cases, and it also depends on the expectance uh, expectations of the end user. So if if an end user, um, you know, is only using twenty frames a second, isn't expecting video, isn't um, working with uh, a lot of WebGL applications, for instance, it will absolutely work without a GPU. But as soon as, as the user will do more extensive stuff, and especially WebGL applications are, um, are a challenge, uh, you won't make them happy without a GPU. Yep. Now, one thing that I was seeing here is that, first of all, it's you, you, like you said, the community uh, for the VCDX DTM is very small, but at that level, they are very close. Everybody knows each other. Everybody helps each other out. Talk to me yeah. about how writing this book was for you and, you know, collaborating with Marco. And Marco, you can, you can also t uh, chime in because I know you also helped with, uh, with other books. Most recently, the, um, the resources guide that Frank Deneman and, and Niels Haggard have released. So please tell me a little about the experience of writing the book. So for me as uh, the co contributor to the book of Johan, um, I got a certain topic that I couldn't really write about. For Johan, it's much more difficult to talk about every single topic. For me, I could really focus on a specific topic. 
Uh, it's the same for reviewing a part of the book of uh, Frank and Niels. I had to review one single uh, chapter, so I can really focus on that. So I really have much, much respect for the guys that wrote the whole book to touch every single uh, topic that her book is uh, uh, containing. So for me, it, it, I have the easy part. So I can just browse through it and see where um, where if some things could be um, yeah changed or um, improved, and th that makes my life a little bit easier. And this for me was the first time that I really wrote a chapter for a book. So for me, it was really um, interesting to see how Jon wrote the whole book in, in which person. Um, which words did he use because you really want to use the same language and that was quite difficult to to align that mm -hmm. so i really really at utmost expect for frank and news who wrote like a big book together in the same form yep i can totally feel that and what about you johan i mean I, I can see here i mean this post is not not written yesterday so it has been more than a year of working and thinking about and trying to limit or contain what exactly the book is going to be about, and I and I bet there was lots of times that you said, "Well, I also want to include this, or should I? Should I? Or should I?" Yeah, so that's that's a really good question. Uh, so the main reason why I started all the different polls on the Twitter account was to help uh, the community um, give me like a like an angle in in in, in some uh, parts and. Um, also help create the content of the book. So what, one of the first things uh, I wanted to include in the book is for instance, how to, uh, um, let, let's say a migration scenario from Windows 7 to Windows 10, because that, that might be one of the scenarios you, you'll uh, be coming across. But um, there wasn't like a lot of um, popularity around that specific topic, but more for instance around uh, graphical acceleration or uh, NSX and so uh, you know as the time went by I, I changed the direction of the book a little bit and um, um, and tried to find the, the the subjects that really fit a VDI uh, based on the 2018 standards and I think that that succeeded um, the one thing that's that's basically really challenging because I Asked really, I asked uh, a couple of guys to, to contribute, uh, Marco and, and Sean, uh, and some other guys to help me you know, do reviews. Um, the hard thing of completely writing a book by yourself is that uh, you need to keep focused for a year. And um, I, the, the other day, I listened to the, uh, the virtually speaking podcast, which uh, featured um, uh, Frank uh, Deneman and, and Duncan. Um, and they also mentioned it, you know, it's, it's so hard to, uh, to keep focus on, um, on such a project. Uh, and, and uh, of all people that, that tell you that they're going to write a book, like one in, in, in every 20 is, is actually going to finish it. Um, and, you know, I, I just wanted to do it. I, I just wanted to finish it. And preferably before FilmWorld US. Yeah. And that's going to work out. So that of that specific thing, I'm, I'm really, really, really proud. Um, and to have people around me, such as Marco and Sean, who, um, and, and, and uh, Ray, uh, sorry, Simon Long, for instance, uh, uh, guys that ask you questions about not really why you did what you did, but more challenge you in, in certain things. Take FISAN, for instance. Uh, a best practice for FISAN is to have multiple disk groups. Um, but that wasn't in the first version of the, the FISAN section I did. So um, uh, by, by getting challenged on such topics and on stuff like, you know, how, how big should the flash uh, part of, of, a, of, of a FISAN data store be or of a disk group, sorry, um, such parts being challenged by other VCDXs, other people who know uh, uh, how to challenge that, that's really helpful. And that's what made the book a really um, complete 
guide to becoming a VCDX. Yeah, and I think the, the thing that is really cool in the book is that uh, Johan also put like considerations into the book. So it's not only like text, but it's also, did you think of this? Or if you made this choice, beware of this, this, and this. So it's, it's not like um, one set of rules. No, it's also, did you think of this? Uh, helping people to, to think about their solution. And I think right, that is yeah. a really cool feature. The, the and Ariel, you, you, mentioned, uh, you, you mentioned the, the, the connection protocols as well, you know, BLAST versus PCO4LP. Yeah. So one of the most common things we, we or I hear at least in, in, uh, at customers or, or at the community is that PCO4LP is dead, uh, BLAST Extreme is the protocol to, uh, to work on because VMware isn't developing on, on, on PCO4LP anymore. Well, that's, that's um, not true because why isn't VMware developing on PC over IP? It's because PC over IP itself is a great connection protocol. It's, it, it, it has a complete feature set and it's logic for VMware to develop on Blast Extreme to get a feature parity because on certain parts, Blast Extreme does behave better than PC over IP, but you know, from a graphical user experience, to be honest, nothing beats PC over IP. Yeah, and, and I've heard that too, uh, when I was talking with a customer that doing this NVIDIA grid, that the next version of Blast will have full 4K color resolution, whereas PC yeah. over IP already has it today. So it, it's still a thing where, where Blast Stream is not 100% there, right? And probably no. by VM world time, we will get more news on that. Yeah, and, and, and according to the VMware website, currently Blast Extreme in Horizon 7.5 has a, a feature parity to, to PC over IP. And that I, I think that's more from an extensibility perspective and also, you know, the, the number of channels and, and the, uh, the, the features in the channels, that is pretty much comparable. But yeah, more from a, a, graphical, um, a graphical experience, user experience, yeah, again, nothing beats PC over IP. <laughs> and uh, one other thing that I was uh, going to comment on is you have, um, I think I hear, you started mentioning some of the things that, you know, security, like you said, is top of mind for everybody. TPS is now disabled by default. And I see that everybody's like, well, listen, TPS is really cool and really useful in BDI. Uh, yes, it's a security risk, but everybody uses it in practice. So tell me a little about those trades, yeah, right? So because that's pretty funny. So we have like a, a WhatsApp chat group with Marco, with uh, Niels and, and Frank and um, uh, Rutger Koster, so who's a PCDX as well, and a couple other guys. And um, so the other day I asked another question around TPS, not from a security perspective, because from a security perspective, I don't think it is the risk is is big enough for an architect to um, to not use it. Um, the 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 chance of a uh, um, of um, a password, for instance, being hacked through. Uh, TPS is so so small. It's so unlikely to happen. Uh, that's you know, it's 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 a worthless risk. Um, I've always and, heard that if if someone is able to do it, then they probably have control over all your all your environment, anyways. Yeah, and I, I heard someone else uh, saying that the chances of winning a lottery and and like winning a million dollars is is higher of of you being able to. Uh, uh, um, to to uh, post a security um, threat by by leveraging TPS. So uh, that so that's one. But um, at the other hand, uh, TPS is a great benefit if you um, would like to leverage. No, if if you would like to have a bigger density on a, on a on a host, a bigger bigger density of desktops. Yeah. Um, so uh, a couple of years ago, uh, VMware changed the the, the, the page size from 4K to 2MB. And when that changed, TPS didn't have like a big advantage because the memory paid, uh, uh, 
identical memory pages of 2MB are um, not really that easy to find, I would say. So um, mm -hmm. you are still able to enable small pages, 4K pages. And that's where the benefit of, of TPS comes into play, um, especially when using instant clones Enabling TPS, we you know I, I, I see uh, customer deployments easily saving uh, 30% of RAM memory because TPS is enabled, and that's I think that's wow. that's a really powerful thing. Yep. So yeah, what is that's that's the beauty of the VCDX uh, uh, methodology is that you're always considering what's the what's the alternatives and what's the what am I gaining and what am I losing with every decision, right? Yeah. Yeah, and, 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 and to add to that, to the TPS part, you know, uh, what we see nowadays is that uh, in terms of performance and, and especially with GPUs, people are, uh, or consultants are, are more and more enabling memory reservations on, um, uh, on desktops, which if you re reserve your, your RAM memory for 100%, TPS could still be enabled, but it makes it useless because yeah, uh, you're gonna you're not gonna size for over provisioning. You're gonna size for performance and and have a more conservative sizing um, um, on your platform. And that's uh, those considerations are are what uh, what the book is all about. Very very cool. All right, so we had some live uh, um, colleagues join us. I see Eric Kubla, Hans Krashveld, uh, probably butcher his name. Uh, Jim Jones, if you have any question and you want me to open up the microphone, take advantage. Uh, go ahead and give me any kind of signal. Raise your hand. Uh, oh, I have Eric. All right. Eric, uh, you should be live now. Go ahead. Hey, guys. Um, good stuff. Hi, I actually had a question. It was you kind of touched on it at the end. So I have a Horizon 632 environment running all Windows 7 desktops. And I'm moving to Horizon 7. Now, when we first put Horizon in back in, I don't know, I think it was a four-dot version, um, it was kind of one of those things where it was, hey, here's this, check it out. And while I was checking it out, they said, okay, we're going to start using it. So it's set up pretty, I don't know, sloppy maybe. Um, my thought was I'm, I'm just going to build a, I don't have that many desktops, probably in the 200 range, so it's not that bad. I was going to rebuild the entire environment you know, from scratch, desktops and all. I mean, any recommendations? Should I do that? Should I migrate them? What do you What do you think would be the best? Well, it, are you going to migrate to, uh, towards Windows 10 as well? Yes. Yeah, so, so you have to completely rebuild your base image anyways, right? Yes. Yeah, and um, so in terms of architecture, are you already using the uh, uh, the UAGs, or I think they're still still called access points in in six six uh, three, or are you just, are you using security servers? No, we use a VPN. So oh, VPN, so, really? Okay, cool. So internal internal, it would just be connecting to the connection server. If if anybody's external to the company, then we connect to our VPN, and that. VPN tunnel only has access to the connection server internally. Right. Well, I think uh, you know. I think the easiest way uh, to approach this would be upgrading your uh, Horizon connection service towards seven because the upgrade itself is is fairly easy. Uh, are you using uh, a few Composer or um, a yeah. different method of cloning? Yeah, View Composer. Right. So. Um, yeah, you know, the Composer is still in, in Horizon 7 as well. Um, although no one is actually um, claiming at VMware that uh, the, the link clone will disappear, um, my estimation would be that it's, it's going to happen one way or the other. Um, so, yeah, yeah, you know, upgrading it seems legit uh, just creating a new pool and, and add a new base image uh, uh, in that pool could definitely work but it, it all has you know if, if you have enough resources to do that um, I would I, I would go that way uh, if you have a greenfield environment ready anyways 
uh, why not rebuild it? Yeah, and that's the that's the route I started to take. So I already deployed the Horizon Seven connection server and <clears throat> and Composer, and kind of already started with it. Um, but I only did one pull and moved a couple VMs in it. I mean, I've been using it; it works. But I just didn't know about migrating. I want to get off. We're in the middle of a Windows 10 migration anyhow, so I thought this would be a good time. Yeah, cool. Sounds good. Well, Eric, you have their you have their uh, their web page and their Twitter handle, so I bet you can update us on how that goes as as it goes. Uh, I do. I've already bookmarked the page. Yeah. Cool. No, I don't see hands or, or Jim raising any hands. So I'll give the floor to you guys, to Marco and uh, Johan. Anything, you know, your last comments, anything you want everybody else to know about the book. And yeah, so it's, it's, I think you it's, said it's, we're going to see it in VMworld, so I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, most definitely. So um, you can expect it in, in the uh, Amazon bookstore within a couple of weeks. Um, somewhere around the first week of, uh, of August. And um, I'll definitely be at VMworld. I'll bring uh, some books and some other uh, cool stuff with the book, uh, uh, around the book with me. Marco will be there as well. Uh, and and, and uh, yeah, just, you know, come to say hi. We're uh, Yeah, just stop to, off uh, and come over. Yeah, absolutely. We won't bite. <laughs> and, you're, and you're very... Uh, very easy to find both of you. I, you know, you just have to look for the really smiley guy here, <laughs> and, and the real, and the really, and the really bearded guy over here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but I need to yeah, update well, my photo as well. Yeah, Mark, you have to look for two bearded, tall Dutch uh, giants. So we, we we are the fee giants. There you go. <laughs> oh, it, it, or just follow this face over here. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, yeah. Absolutely. Well, I hope that you uh, get a chance to, you know, to have those uh, book features where they have the VMware Press and they sit down the author hours. Um, if you don't find the contact for that, I'm pretty sure I can find you that contact. So let me know if I can help you there. And, yeah, we'll make that work. Yep. And I'm looking forward to reading the book as well. Uh, thank you again for scheduling this time with us to tell us about this. You know, every every especially by being able to release it by VMworld time is such a good thing because there's so many people in the world out there that they only get to kind of relax and look at how things have changed in VMworld. So being able to take this book home uh, or hearing about it from other people saying, hey, you know, new book release, you should really see it. It's all fresh for 2018. This is the things that people take back home and they are able to work with the source for the rest of the year. So I really appreciate it. I know the V community appreciates it too. Cool. Well, uh, thanks for having us. Um, it, it, you know, we met last year for the first time at VMworld. Uh, we had a blast, and, and uh, let's let's drink some beers um, at uh, VMworld 2018. There you go. All right. With that, yes, you yeah. With that, we'll stop the recording, and I really appreciate everybody that came in. Uh, Jim says thank you. And I thank you as well. And we'll, this will be in YouTube very soon. So bye, everybody.